the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. I'm reading verses 9 through 13. So hear God's word this morning. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is leading, the le- a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thanks, Andrew, and uh, let me add a good morning to you as well. Uh, my name is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors, and we're really glad uh, to have you with us. And if, uh, if you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn it to Acts uh, 16, uh, you can do that. That's where we'll be all this morning. And if you're uh, a kid and you didn't grab one of the uh, purple Kid Connect sheets, or I think it's actually kind of pink, uh, one of those Kid Connect sheets on your way in, grab one. You can follow along uh, um, that way as well. Um, well, that, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into uh, the story that Andrew just uh, teed up for us. So let's pray. Uh, Father, Psalm 5, the psalmist says that he, he will enter your house because of the abundance of your steadfast love. And so we gather as, as your church because we know that you are full of steadfast love. And so in that love towards us, would you, would you now teach us? Would you reveal yourself to us and guide us um, in the way you'd have us, God, both collectively as a church and individually as we live out our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a father to three boys, and even though they are all boys, they are, uh, which means they have many things in common, they're also very unique. And, and to meet them or to, to like actually know them, I have to meet them where they are. So my oldest son, uh, Isaiah, he's six years old. To meet him where he is, uh, I have to enter into his world of superheroes and supervillains. And so every day he dresses up as some type of superhero or super... Typically he's the superhero, I'm the supervillain. That's typically how it works out. But the latest costume that he had, uh, he had devised was he, uh, he put a Chewbacca mask on and then he had an R2-D2 Mickey-eared hat on top of that. I've got a picture of that. It's, uh, it's not creepy at all. Um, Imagine, uh, imagine waking up to that, uh, which my wife did this week. Uh, he came in. I, I forgot the pirate vest as well. So that, if you're going to meet with Isaiah, like I have to meet with him at his level where he is. C- to connect with my middle son, Micah, who's four years old, um, I have to be willing to just, just listen because he likes to talk. And he likes to say a lot when he talks. And so there's lots he always needs to unpack. And you just have to sit in. You gotta, when he comes to talk to you, just sit in. Grab a comfortable chair. He's got a lot to say. So that's my, my uh, four-year-old. My two-year-old, Abel, I have to meet him on his terms. And, and, and he's, a very, he's a very sensitive soul. Um, even at two, he actually he already has a feelings notebook he carries around uh, with himself. He writes in. It's more scribbles than, than writes, but he has a feelings notebook. If he's going to get in trouble, I know I'm going to have to sit, console him for a while, kind of nurse him back to health. But uh, it's not just true of, of being a parent. To know someone, you have to meet them to meet them where they are. And what I, what I want to just unpack for us out of Acts 16 is I think one of the unique 
the unique pieces of who the God of the Bible is, who Jesus is, is that he meets you and me right where we are. That Jesus rescues us right where we are, right where he finds us. And so Acts 16, it's the story of the church in Philippi, this church, how it got started. And so if you've read maybe more of the New Testament, and you've, there's a book called Philippians, that letter was written to this church in this city called Philippi. And we, we have the story here in Acts 16 of how that church got started. And the church got started by three dramatic conversions. And what's interesting about each of these conversions is that the people are in completely different circumstances. And yet in each of their circumstances, Jesus, he meets them right where they are and rescues them. And so I want to I push into each of those stories to show this. Jesus, wherever you're at this morning, whatever you walk in with, Jesus can meet you right there. So the first story is, is a woman named Lydia. And she's a pretty well-known Christian through the rest of the New Testament. She's going to be an important figure in the early church. And so in verse 14, we learn a little bit about who Lydia is. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. There's actually a lot of interesting uh, or important facts about Lydia here. First is that she's, she grew up in Thyatira, which is not Philippi, which means she's moved. She actually is originally from Asia, and now she's in, um, in Philippi, which is more of, of kind of modern-day Greece. So she's moved, and the reason she's moved is because of what we, tell, we were told her, her vocation was, which was she was a seller of purple goods. And that's important because in that day, uh, purple was very hard to manufacture, which meant you could only afford a, something that was purple if you were very, very wealthy. And so what we know about Lydia is, is like she basically she dealt in, in luxury goods. She sold expensive things to people who could afford expensive things. I love the way Tim Keller describes Lydia. He says, Lydia sold beautiful things to beautiful people. That's who she is. And so she's an international businesswoman, incredibly successful, uh, probably not married, the runner of her own household. And lastly, we, we learn she is a, a worshiper of God, which is a technical term. What that means is Lydia is a Gentile person. She's not Jewish, but she had converted to the Jewish faith because she had found the, true, the Jewish God to be true. And so she's, uh, as Luke and, and Paul and others encounter her, she's having a Bible study about the Jewish God by the river in Philippi. And so what happens? Well, Paul, Paul takes a risk. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gates to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, the first thing uh, that's important is I want you to notice that Luke, is, as he writes Acts, he's made a shift from talking about Paul and his companions from they to we. And so in Acts 16, 8, uh, Paul, or Luke, rather, up until this point has referred to Paul and those with him as they, and now he's saying we, which means Paul, or rather Luke, is a part of Paul's work now. Luke is there. Luke was there for everything that happens here in Acts 16. And the, the second thing that's important is, is that Paul willingly sits down with a, a group of women to talk theology with them. And we have to understand, in that day, you, just, you didn't do that. Uh, Jewish men did not sit down with women to teach them theology. Greek and Roman men did not sit down with women to teach them theology or philosophy. There was just a, just a clear distinction between men and women, and sort of men were thought to be the thinkers, women were not. And yet Paul has no trouble 
basically defying social custom and sitting down with women to talk theology, to talk the Bible with them. And, and, and so you have this image, just sort of a small group of women, Paul and, and Luke and Silas and others sit down to talk to them. And it's, it's almost like this give and take Bible study that happens here as Paul begins to unpack Jesus for them. They believe in the Jewish God, and now Paul says, listen, this man Jesus is coming, he's the Messiah. And so as they're having this give and take discussion, verse 14, this happens to Lydia. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is a good verse for a number of reasons. One is that uh, this, this verse is uh, evidence that it takes a miracle of God for anyone to listen to any preacher. Right? Especially me. Right? The Lord had to open her, her heart. Um, and I'm only half joking there because Luke is saying more than just like, man, Paul preached a great sermon. He intentionally says the Lord opened her heart. And that's important because in the New Testament, the Lord, that Greek word, which is kurios, it almost always refers to Jesus. And so what Luke wants to get across is not this vague sense like, well, God, yeah, God up in heaven is kind of like, you know, convincing Lydia. No, what he's saying is Jesus, as Paul was speaking the gospel and talking through and give and take discussion around the gospel, Jesus was present just nudging and opening Lydia's heart so that she could receive and hear the gospel. Jesus is very much present as this church in Philippi gets started. So one, that's really important. Jesus is here. He's at work. And two is that Lydia's heart is open to pay attention to what Paul said. And that, that's, a good, that's an okay, okay translation. But the word pay attention, I'm, typically what I think of, and maybe this is just because I have young kids, but it's typically like to get my kids to do, to even know that I'm in the same room as them, I have to say their name like 18 times, right? It's like Micah, 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 Micah. You know, and eventually, like, Micah, pay attention, right? Like, look at me. Like, almost that's what we think of, like this sort of annoyance, and eventually they're going to come around. But that's not quite what the word means. The word means more like, it's often used in the context of the, it's dark and then a light comes on, right? And when it's dark and a light comes on, what do you, you look at it. Right, all of your attention goes right to it. It's, it's not just, she's not just paying attention. She's, she's struck by what Paul's saying. She's enraptured by what Paul is saying. And this woman whose entire job is to create beauty, create beautiful things, is now struck and, and just cannot take her eyes off of the beauty of the gospel and who Jesus is. And all this happens by this little Riverside Bible study. Here's this incredibly successful person. She's wealthy. She's internationally known. But like most people who, who encounter success in this life, she's still looking. Success hasn't ended her looking. She's already converted from one religion. She's looking for truth. And Jesus meets her right there. Jesus meets us in our success. I think one of the reasons why it's hard for people in our culture to, to connect with or to believe in Jesus is because that we're just surrounded by so much success. That for most of us, many of us in this room, certainly not all of us, but for many of us in this room, we have a good job. We have a good family life. We have plenty of money. We, there's, there's almost no limitation to what we, we can do with our lives, especially when you compare us to the rest of history. And in all that success, we, just, we don't feel need we don't feel dependent as much. And often success can be, just be a, a, sort of a wet blanket on the idea that there is a God. And don't get me wrong, all of those are really good things. 
But what can begin to happen is we live life sort of always with that carrot out in front of us, and we just kind of keep chasing, oh, when I get this, when that happens, when I achieve this, then I'll, then I'll, I'll have it, then I'll have arrived. But people like Lydia, people who actually do accomplish everything, who actually catch the carrot, find that, that they've caught a carrot. And their success just leaves them searching. And so Russell Brand, he's a, he's a celebrity. He's actually sort of withdrawn from celebrity culture. He's not acted as much because he sort of found celebrity culture, this culture where everyone's gotten everything they've wanted is just really empty and vapid and, and broken. And so he recently said this on a radio interview. And it's sort of, it's not a great quote because he's like just kind of free talking. But here's what he said. So when you get the things your culture tells you you should be doing and you experience them, now you know. Now you know you can stop chasing the carrot because you've had a bite out of it and it's like, hold on a minute, this is bull. Edited, to be clear. This is Lydia. She's gotten everything she could accomplish in her life. As a, I mean, as a woman, she has become a successful business person, which would be incredibly difficult. I mean, she's had all the success that she can imagine and, and Jesus meets her right there. And so this morning, if your life is too good to notice Jesus, or if you, like, you've got it, you've, you've done everything that you thought you could, and you're, you're, you're still empty, Jesus has exactly what you need, and he will meet you there. Jesus meets us in our success. So that, that's the first person we encounter, is Lydia. The second person we encounter in this church at Philippi as it gets launched is a slave girl. And we learn a lot about her in verses 16 uh, through 18. Here's what, here's what happens. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who held a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed... Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So here, a completely different person than Lydia. This, this girl, first of all, she's young. She's probably 12 to 14 uh, years old. We're told that she has a spirit of, of divination. Uh, literally, that means she, uh, the Greek translates, uh, she had the spirit of a python. Right? So that, that probably clears it up for you, right? Uh, what, what, what that meant, the spirit of a python, is that she could tell the future. And because she could tell the future, uh, some, some men in the city had grabbed her and were oppressing her and were, caught, were forcing her to tell the future for other people. They would pay the men. And so this girl was kept in slavery and these men were getting rich off of her. So she's a slave. She's being abused and oppressed for economic gain for others. And then she's following Paul around the city as Paul's trying to start this church saying, these men are servants of the Most High. God. And then finally, after, um, after a few days, I mean, Luke says, after many days of this, Paul turns around because he's annoyed and casts the spirit out of her and she's freed. And let's be honest, like, that doesn't make Paul look the best, does it? Right? Like, she follows him around for several days and finally is like, all right, I've had it. I'm, I'm done with you. And cast a demon. Like, right? Not like Paul, like, in this kindness and the power of Jesus after praying for her. No, he's annoyed. And so he cast the demon out of her. Like, that's how the story is told. And, and maybe, like, you're like, gosh, demon possession, this is just weird. But I just have to say, like, one of the reasons why I think you could trust this story is because this story does not make Paul look particularly flattering. 
And that's one of the reasons why I think you think this is true. Like, if you're going to just make this up, this story up completely, aren't you going to make, like, Paul look like this, this strapping hero who just cares for the oppressed and is, just wants to do this powerful thing? And for the good of the city, he puts his cape on, right, and he heals this. No, he's annoyed, right? Like, that, that just strikes. This really happened. And you can almost imagine Paul and Luke and Silas laughing about this later that Paul converts people once he's annoyed by them, right? You just see this. So that's why I think you can think this is is true. Um, But also Paul, like this was a risk. Paul knew what would happen to him once the demon was cast out. Because once the demon's cast out and she can't tell the future anymore, these men who have oppressed her now have lost their source of income. And, And you don't steal from the mob without the mob coming after you. And that's what happens. A riot breaks out. Paul and Silas are are beaten, they're bloodied, probably broken ribs, and they're thrown into prison. And we'll talk about that, what happens in prison in a second. Um, But something else happens too. Someone else shows up. And again, Paul doesn't say, right, in my name or for the gospel's sake. No, he says, when he cast a demon out, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so here again, Jesus is present, and his name and his power liberates this girl from her oppressors, from her slavery, from her wounds. And Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just meet you in success. Jesus meets us in our wounds. And perhaps for you, the thing that has kept you from, from believing in Jesus or from receiving the fullness of life that Jesus offers you is that Either you've been abused in the past or you have been an abuser. But maybe you're, you're, you've experienced something similar to where you feel broken beyond repair. And perhaps the pain of what you've done or what, you've done or what has been done to you has remained with you as long as you can remember. And it's like a mark that's been branded upon your body that cannot be moved. It's a part of your identity that's so entwined to who you are you don't see release from it. it feels like a weight upon your shoulders that, that will never be lifted. And what I want us, us all to hear this morning is that whatever wounds you carry, whatever burdens are on your shoulder, whatever weight you walk with, the name of Jesus is more powerful than all of that. You will never encounter a more powerful person or power than Jesus Christ. There is no sin that is too far for him to heal, and there is no wound too, too broken with, from which he cannot treat and heal. And it may not happen in an instant. And I certainly don't want to, in, in saying that, negate any wound or diminish the significance of the pain or the wounds which you carry. But rather, it is to say Jesus is greater than our ability to sin and to be sinned Against And as deep as, the, as sin can go into the fabric of our lives and as much of the burden of the weight of our wounds can weigh upon us and as much as our failures can, can seem to define us and shut doors for us and as, as heavy as the burden of sin weighs upon our souls, the name of Jesus, it is more powerful. The slave girl needed liberation, and one, one, one just mention of Jesus' name, and she's liberated. 
She's healed. Don't lose sight of Lydia. Do you see how different these people are? One is a slave girl oppressed. The other is an international successful businesswoman who's made it. And for both of them, Jesus meets them right where they are and rescues them. But there's one more person, and that is, so like I said, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And there in prison, there is a jailer. And we learn about the jailer in, in verse 23. It says, when they, when the city of Philippi, the crowd, had inflicted many blows upon them, upon Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And here's what we learn about, about this jailer. First, is this like, just think brutal, tough guy. So he, most likely because he's a jailer now at this point, he was a, a, a soldier at some point in his life. He got sort of gotten past the active soldier part of his career. And oftentimes when a soldier uh, could no longer be a soldier, they would, they would give them jobs in the city, oftentimes being the guard of a prisoner, so, or guard of a prison. So most likely that's his role is he's a retired soldier. His pension plan is being the jailer here at this jail and and he's a brutal guy and the reason it's pretty clear he's a brutal guy is remember Paul and Silas they've been beaten uh, they're probably bloodied uh, they are probably broken ribs they're they're bruised and he doesn't he doesn't treat their wounds but instead puts them into the inner prison where there's no light right so they're in complete darkness and on top of that he puts them into a torture device into stocks this is a brutal guy who is treating Paul and Silas with brutality and here's what happens Next. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So, again, Paul takes an incredible risk here. I mean, he's got, he can get out of jail. He's got a get-out-of-jail-free card from a brutal jailer who's just tried to, uh, who actually did just torture him, treated him unkindly. And the jailer, uh, as he's going to kill himself, Paul says, stop, we're all still here. Paul stays in the prison. And so the reason why the jailer would have, would have probably tried to kill himself is that uh, that would have been his punishment. If you were a jailer in that day and a prisoner got out, you, that, you died for that. Um, and so the jailer, in this case, he, he doesn't even want to wait. He's so overcome by his failure in his vocation that he, he, just wants to kill, he just wants to end it right there. His worldview has been shown a fatal flaw. It cannot help him with failure. The way he understands the world cannot help him once he's about to face suffering, once he's about to face punishment. 
And where does Jesus meet him? Jesus meets him right in his failure. And that's not so different from, from probably some of us. We fail in some way. We, we have a really hard time handling it. And this man's worldview, has, he has no capacity to handle either the oncoming suffering that's coming or his failure that he has just done as a jailer. And that he looks at Paul and Silas and he sees a completely different way of living in the world. Paul and Silas, they're singing through suffering, right? He's torturing them. They've been beaten and, and they're singing. And more than that, Paul and Silas have repaid his cruelty towards them with kindness. He tortured them, and they saved his life. So it's no wonder that the prison guard goes to Paul and Silas and says, What can I do to be saved? How do, how do I have the life that you have? And Paul's answer, right, it's not, I've got these really great set of moral teachings that, that you can follow and these really great practices. You, he says, no, you, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus, and then we're told Paul spoke the word of the Lord. He spoke Jesus to them. And here again in the Philippian jail, like the riverside with Lydia and like the, the powerful encounter with the slave girl, here's Jesus present working in the, the, the heart of this man and his household to rescue him, meeting him right in his failure. That Jesus rescues us right where he finds us. Which is why, like, whatever you walk in with this morning, whatever your burden is, whatever you need rescued from, whatever that is, Jesus is the answer. Because whatever it is, Jesus can meet you right in that place, in that specific place. And we see, I mean, three radically different people, right? Hardcore soldier, tough guy, um, seller of luxury goods, fashion designer Lydia, and slave girl. Like, you cannot have more different people possible. And yet they all are rescued by Jesus right where they are. And so let's think this out as a church, as Christians. What does this mean for us? What is this? How do we work this into who we are? And, and I'm going to give you three thoughts. First is that believe and know Jesus is for everybody. And what I hope you find, not just that like this vague sense, Jesus is for everybody, but actually like Jesus is actively at work in this world. He's not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not taking a nap until he comes back. He's at work. He's opening people's hearts. He's ministering to this world. He's at work. And the apostles, Paul, Silas, they had this assumption, which is why Paul could take these risks. right? Why he could cast a demon out, knowing it probably would lead to imprisonment. Why he could sit down with a woman next to the river, defying social custom. Why he could stay in jail to speak the gospel to this. He just knew Jesus was at work, and so he lived differently. But more than that, look, I mean, like as I just mentioned, these are radically different people. They're all from different parts of the world. The, the soldier is probably Roman. The slave girl is probably Greek. Lydia is Asian. They're all different uh, ages, right? Lydia and the, 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 the jailer are older. This, this girl is younger. They're all from different classes. Lydia is from the wealthy class. The jailer from the middle class. The slave girl from a socioeconomic poor class. They all need different things, right? Lydia needs a Bible study by the river. The girl needs a dramatic encounter with Jesus. The jailer needs to see people who can embody and live through suffering with joy and who can replay cruelty with kindness, that there is kindness in the world. They all need different things. They're all coming from different places, and Jesus meets them right where they are and saves them. And so whoever's in your life that you look at, you think, oh, Jesus could never get, never could get into that heart. You can't say that. You're wrong. 
Jesus is not too limited to get into the person in your life that you're ready to write off. And he's not too limited to reach the person in your life you think he can't get to. He's still at work and he gets to anybody, anywhere. And whatever they need, he has what they need. Jesus is for everybody for a second. Uh, When you meet Jesus, when you encounter Jesus and you let him rescue you, when you meet Jesus, you will take risks for Jesus. I mean, throughout this passage, I tried to highlight this. Paul, he doesn't show any concern. He doesn't care about his own well-being. He doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about uh, being in physical danger. He cares about sharing Jesus with anyone that he can. And every time he does, it's, there's a risk. There's something he's putting on the line. And Lydia does the same thing, too. I, I love what Lydia says to Paul. So after she's converted, um, they, they finish their Bible study in, by the river. Lydia says this. She says, after she was baptized her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, faithful to Jesus, come to my house and stay. And this is the great line. And she prevailed upon us. So what Lydia says, Lydia says, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian now, and I want your ministry base, I want the church to be planted out of my house. And no doubt Paul was like, well, you're a woman, that's probably not a great idea. And Lydia's like, we're planting the church in my house. And Paul's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. No, Paul, we're planning the church. And you can see why she's a successful businesswoman. She talked Paul into doing something different than what Paul had planned on doing. And Paul's a pretty stubborn guy. It's pretty clear through all of the New Testament. And so Lydia, like the church is planted out of her house. And that would have been enormously risky for someone who had an international business with the Greek and Roman cultural leaders, the cultural elite. Because now she's got the slave girls coming to her house for Bible study. She's associated with Jesus who helped stir up a riot in the city. Like, she's putting her own livelihood on the line, but she insists. And a couple more times in the New Testament, you'll see Lydia mentioned and Paul thanking her and praising her because she is probably, next to Paul, getting there to plant the church, the driving force of why the church in Philippi is maybe the, the healthiest church we see in the rest of the New Testament. So take risks when you meet Jesus. And, and that... That leads to the third thing, which is that, that that's something you just can't do unless you just continually, daily in your life, let Jesus meet you right where you are. Do you know why Lydia was willing to take risks, why Paul was willing to take risks? Because their whole life was defined by an ongoing personal encounter with Jesus. And they understood what Jesus had done for them, the risks Jesus had taken for them, what Jesus had given up to be with them, what Jesus had traded in to rescue them. They got it. And through all sorts of different circumstances, Lydia in her success, Paul in his self-righteousness, Jesus had met them where they were and had rescued them and saved them. And they saw all that Jesus had done to get near to them. And through that daily encounter of Jesus, they, they believed with everything in them, there's Everyone is, anyone could come to Jesus, and I'm willing to take risks to see that happen. That you will never do the first two things until your life is defined by a daily, continual, personal encounter with Jesus who wants to meet you right where you are. And I realize, like, there's going to be moments in your life where you think, oh, he can't meet me here. Wrong. Go back to the gospel. Go back to Jesus' life. Read. Look and ask someone. There is nothing. I mean, look at this story. Slave girl, jailer, successful international businesswoman. What what circumstances aren't covered there? 
Jesus wants to meet you right where you are and rescue you there. Let him. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, just, I laugh at what, what Luke wrote, that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was being said. And I just know my own heart, all of our hearts, can never truly pay attention to the incredible beauty and power of the gospel unless Jesus is there by our side opening our hearts. And so as we sing, as we take communion, as we move forward in worship, Jesus, we pray by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts. Amen.